Welcome to the Functional Medicine and Natural Healing Podcast, where we share the secrets to upgrade your digestion, improve your hormones, restore your immune system, and detoxify your body. I'm your host, Dr. Houston Anderson. Now let's get started. The following discussion is for educational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or disease process. Always discuss any medical treatments or medical interventions with your personal physician. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. Now we're going to do some Q&A on the gallbladder. So if you listen to our last podcast with Dr. Gabe and I, uh, we covered a ton on gallbladder. So we're going to refer back to that a ton and say, go listen to that again. Go listen to what we already said. Um, and welcome to the podcast, Dr. Gabe. Hey, hey, how are you doing? I am doing good. Excited to answer some of these questions because yeah. gallbladder freaks the gallbladder freaks people out all the time, right? Because it can be very urgent. Um yep. So let, let's go through some of these. These are, once again, for everyone that doesn't know, these are questions submitted on Instagram. That's where I'm throwing the questions. I'm asking people. So if you listen to this podcast and you're not following both of us on Instagram, go ahead and do that. It's just simply Dr. Houston Anderson. And what's your handle, Doc? Uh, it's Dr. Arichu. So I guess you got to spell my name. <laughs> All right. A-R-I-C-I-U. Um, is it D-O-C-T-O-R or D-R? D-R. So D-R-A-R-I-C-I-U for Dr. Arichu. And you can find, I call him Dr. Gabe, but you can find him online there or follow me and I share his stuff. So you'll see that there. Yeah. Um, okay. First question, doc, what causes sludge and can it be eliminated? If so, how? So, you know, simple physiology, cholesterol is the thing that thickens the, the bile, but there's a lot of things that are going to, you know, assist in that whole thickening that we, you know, talked about last time. So different toxicities, um, insulin issues, there's a lot of different things that are going to be, uh, affecting it. Estrogen is a big one. And so if it's just simply cholesterol, that's, you know, you got too much cholesterol, it could be that you don't have enough uh, of the other side to help thin the bile. So like bile salts, insulin, or uh, lecithin, choline, that sort of thing uh, for gallbladder general support. But the big thing is going to be what's going on in the body, what's affecting it. Do we have some infections? Do we have some toxins? Do we have some insulin issues? Right. So then go back and listen to the last podcast on how to do all those things. But big story short there, sludge should not scare you. Sludge is not a big deal. Most of us have a certain amount of sludge. If you get too much sludge in that sludge is where the stones are formed. And that's yep. when it becomes an issue. So sludge is like pretty dangerous, right? So it's like, get your, get your stuff in gear and start taking care of your health so that you can get rid yep. of that sludge. All right. Yep. Question number two, if your appendix was removed, does the gallbladder need extra support? So I'm not going to say like I see a direct connection there in essence, like your appendix, they they say it's vestigial, that it's not needed. That's wrong. We know that now. It is a place where you uh, keep certain bacteria uh, in your gut. So it's like important to the microbiome, but having it removed gives you a general idea of the state of the gut. The gut was not in a good state. It got inflamed, infected, and it needed to be removed. So things are not really going well there. And so if you're having infections, you maybe you have a constipation, maybe you got some other things going on, we could be seeing a direct or indirect relationship with the gallbladder now. But absolutely we're going to be right back to where we were. So you know, check the toxins, help the gallbladder move correctly, that sort of thing. Look for uh, and then fix the infections, that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, if you're missing your appendix, you're going to take a little bit more care of your gut than other people. Yeah. That's the big thing. As soon as you miss an organ, I don't care whether it's ovaries, uterus, gallbladder, appendix, um, anything else, a part of your colon, 
you got to be more careful with everything you do. And, and that's, that's the downside of having a surgery is that that gallbladder and that appendix give you a little bit more wiggle room with your diet. Once it's gone, life is going to be a little bit tougher. Okay. Yep. Some of the best foods that you like for gallbladder. Well, I mean, other than the supportive agents and the herbs and that sort of thing, it's going to be, you better start eating healthy fats. You yeah. better get rid of all the seed oils. You better start eating, you know, good things like extra virgin olive oil, avocado oil, though there's a caveat there. You got to be a little bit savvy on which brands because that's been in the news relatively lately, uh, which yeah. brand, you know, that sort of thing, because some of it is not true avocado oil. Um, otherwise, we're looking at animal fats. That's going to be your big one. So like I'm a huge grass fed butter supporter. As long as you can handle dairy okay, grass fed butter is excellent sort of a source of arachidonic acid and many other good bio, uh, vitamins, minerals, that sort of thing. Uh, vitamin A, um, K2 as well. Uh, otherwise, uh, lard, tallow coming from a good source, healthy fats for sure, uh, as long as you're being able to handle that. And then we're looking at a good anti-inflammatory paleo, paleo diet that we often are eating, like meat, fruit, vegetables, that sort of thing, um, depending on the person, what they're um, overall diets like but generally healthy food whole foods not processed junk yep so yeah you talked about insulin there how, now how do you reconcile so someone they said you just said eat lard tallow um i love duck fat for patients but um how do you reconcile if they can't tolerate fats right now do their gallbladder health like what's kind of their what's their step there real quick that's going to be i need to investigate and see what's going on with their gallbladder and i need to give some support there, whether it is like we were talking about in the last episode, beets, betaine, that sort of thing, artichoke, um, even chanka piedra. I, I don't see it super, super common, but I mean, it's on my list of things to check. And so yeah. I want them to have some support there. And then I might slowly increase the fats for that patient as they're tolerating it. Okay. I like that. I like that. Um, we talked about signs of gallbladder issues last time. So I'm just going to yeah. refer back to that for that question. Um, can a baby be born with gallbladder gallbladder issues if the mom has them? What so, do you think? I mean, that kind of makes me think of, uh, I, you know, I got a genetic issue. My mom has it. My grandparents have it. I'm like, no, the di same diet runs in the family. So that's going to be where I'm headed. It's If the baby has a gallbladder issue, I'm going to be pointing to let's eat healthy. Let's get the breast milk up to where it should be. Um, fill, filled with nutrition. If they're not using uh, breast milk and they're using formula, we need to get a good formula or a good recipe of stuff going in there, depending on the age of the baby. Um, but I can't say I've seen that. I'm not going to yeah. rule because anything's possible. Um, but I've seen more important things coming from, you know, congenital type things inherited from the mom. But definitely the baby could have some malnourishment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I would say no, that's an absolute no for me as far as like a direct correlation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you could have an altered gut microbiome because why does mom have a gut issue? Well, if she has diabetes and she has a poor gut health and she has all these chronic health issues, then uh, the microbiome can be slightly disrupted when the baby's born. Maybe the baby got vaccines or got antibiotics early on. All of that could disrupt the microbiome or the gut which then can indirectly, you know, then and go and affect the gallbladder. But yeah, as far as like, I, I don't know that I've ever read a case study of, uh, you know, mom is missing a gallbladder, baby born, no gallbladder working at all. Um, it I, I don't think that it's correlated. So um, 
The gold standard test to check your blood sugar. I covered this on Instagram, but what do you like for blood sugar, Doc? Uh, so there's going to be a few different markers. Like you kind of, most patients coming in will already have had a fasting glucose ran, maybe even A1C. Um, a lot of people coming in to see me aren't necessarily type two diabetic, so they can have totally normal numbers there. So the one that I like and I love running this test is fasting insulin. All right. So insulin is um, not the same as glucose. So a lot of people uh, think it's the same thing. It is not the same thing. Uh, so the test itself, not a lot of people run this. And in fact, I think Ben Bickman uh, is probably the one that may, has popularized this a little bit. But right. when you run it, the lab test is going to be a broad range. And really, you actually have to narrow that range and it has to be fasting. So it needs to be between two and five. Otherwise, if you're above five, you got insulin resistance. If you're really far above it, we're looking at prediabetes, that sort of thing. But that's the one that I like to run just because no one's running it and you can catch stuff pretty early. If we're running a blood test. Yep. I like that. I like that. Um, I'm not going to say much more on that. Yeah. I think I've heard different levels, but you know, anywhere below seven, maybe acceptable, but yeah, two to five seems pretty optimal to me. When you get your young people that are healthy and fit, it definitely falls in that two to five range. Um, yeah. all right. Can I get rid of gallbladder polyps? What do you think, doc? I mean, that's not something I've ever seen myself. Like colon polyps are a lot more common, that sort of thing. So. I'm going to put it in the same category of anything else related to the, the gallbladder. These things are forming because of abnormal physiology, and we need to return to normal physiology and stop it functioning abnormally. Yeah, so that's that's all I would say there is like I would even put gallbladder polyps in the in this category of like fatty liver disease, um, yeah. where essentially you're getting kind of some kind of formation based upon some kind of irritant. Likely, you need to discover what that irritant is. I mean, and especially if you're forming lots of polyps in the gallbladder, which is not that common. But if you are, um, you know, looking for things like mold or, or toxin exposure, um, maybe you're a hairdresser and you're just breathing chemicals all day long and your bodies mm -hmm. can't keep up. Something weird like that if you're forming a lot of polyps, which yep. is essentially the story of the next question, which is liver cysts. But yep. what what is the cause of liver cysts to you, Doc? I mean, again, you're going to write down the same avenue. Like you think of all the things that you can detoxify in your liver. You think of all the things that can directly or indirectly affect your liver. There's a lot of things going on there. So whether it is like you have a fatty liver from like insulin, insulin resistance, that sort of thing, or you've got some hormone imbalance or your liver's just not detoxifying any number of things that it actually detoxifies. Like we talked about caffeine in the last episode. We talked about, uh, phase two detoxification, like the glucuronidation, there's a lot of things going through the liver. It is your oil filter in a sense. And so yeah. uh, when we're looking at that, there's a lot of things affecting it, but that's why it's important to go to a doctor who understands the physiology, the biochemistry, and ascertain what phase. Because I've ha I had this question asked yesterday about liver detox. Like, should I do a liver detox? And I'm like, you don't need to do a liver detox because we already found the phase two issue. And I think it was glutathione or methionine. I can't remember which pathway it was, but we already found the issue. It wasn't yeah. the entire liver. You don't need to just do a blanket shotgun approach. We got right. the targeted one. This is what you need. Yeah. I, I love that. I mean, that, and that's the benefit of working with a practitioner. Once again, I'll throw that out one more time. I can't tell you how many Instagram questions I get and people are trying to diagnose themselves and they're just wasting time. Um, and I hate to say that, but it's just a matter of like, 
I don't care if you try two or three things, but at the end of the day, you need to spend as much time as it takes to get a good doctor on your side that you don't have to call them every day. I don't make my patients call me frequently. I don't even have a follow-up plan for half of them. I just say, call me when you need me, when there's a little bit more something that I haven't taught you that you haven't learned on the podcast, you can't answer answer on Instagram, or it's more urgent. And that's that's what I want people to do. So it's just, those are the things where it's like, you're not going to figure it out on your own if you don't do someone something like that. It, and literally just once again, just to go crazy on that rant about doctors, like if if you have a doctor, if you don't have a doctor, it's like, it's like trying to fix your house without like having a construction, you know, license or having any training. It's like the odds of you building a house tomorrow without knowing how to do it are very unlikely. Could you build a house? Yeah, it's not rocket science. Honestly, medical science isn't that hard. It just takes years and years and years of practice to do it. So, um, you know, if you've ever tried to patch a hole in your drywall or something like that, it can be a pain in the butt, but yet the guys that are good at it do it instantly and it takes them like 10 minutes. So, um, so what may be hard for you at home may not be hard for Dr. Gabe if you just call him on the phone. That's all I like to say. Um, <laughs> all right. How long does it take to clear a biofilm and what's the best product for that? All right. So with biofilm, it could be as simple as one or two herbs. That's it. Yep. It can not like it just it's what that person needs. So whether it's like Chinese coptis that we both like a lot, uh, yep. neem, malia, marinda, there's a lot of different ones. But sometimes you can get a sticky issue and you might need some specific like essential oils, um, like BFB is one that we probably use in the past. And it's yep. what it's known for. Biofilm buster is what BFB stands for. But I often don't have to go that route. Usually it's just the right herb for that appropriate time. That is it. And it's and I already threw out a few of them, but a lot of times I don't get a lot of sticky biofilms that are difficult to remove. It's just looking for the right thing. Yeah. So things I'll say about biofilms. Yes, there can be some nasty ones. Um, but you should never treat a biofilm until you're healthy. That's kind of my stance, which is a little bit different than what a lot of people say. So meaning you should take your Coptis, your Miranda Malia, whatever you're taking to clear those basic biofilms, those entry-level biofilms. And then if you wanted to just make your life tough and release everything that your body stored that could be toxic at the time, you can stack something like a natokinase, a buloc, a serapeptase. Any one of those are ones that will kind of degrade mucus or films a little bit more in the body. Uh, but the one thing that you mentioned that's critical is like every herb that's antimicrobial is anti-biofilm yeah. and uh and so everyone wants to go take a bunch of natokinase but i see people all the time and they're on natokinase or some other serapeptase and and they have no antimicrobials so they're releasing infection into the environment and they're not killing it so that's the next thing never take a biofilm disruptor without a stacked herb to kind of kill what comes out of that because that's going to be a problem and you're just going to, ha you know, it's just going to relocate that infection. So that's yeah. how I see it. All right. Like Random that. nausea in the morning uh, could be gallbladder, right? No specific time, <laughs> but before food, not pregnant. What do you think? Um, I'm going to go with blood sugar. All right. <laughs> Random nausea in the morning. I'm going to go with, especially because they said before food. So I'm, my assumption is, is after they eat, it goes away. Um, yeah. I'm going to go with for sure blood sugar issues. Now it could still be a gallbladder, like you said. And actually, I forgot to mention this or, uh, last episode is a great thing to help with gallbladder nausea and nausea in general is ginger. Ginger is yeah. pretty good at that. And, you know, I use a couple of different forms of it. Um, but the one that I've used for specifically for that is weed botanicals and that ginger is excellent. It's almost like ginger beer on steroids as if you can think about getting ginger beer on steroids 
Um, but yeah, no, I'm going to go blood sugar all the time on this one, unless I'm proven otherwise. And, you know, high protein diet, lower those carbs. Yep. Eat something before bed, something like that. Eat a healthy carb, yep. healthy fat, healthy protein, something like that. But I agree that I'm going to go with low blood sugar on that one. All right. Uh, what areas are more likely to gain fat with no gallbladder? Can you counteract this or reverse it? I think the areas of fat is probably more determined by genetics than anything, most likely. Um, And it could be various. It could be your hips. It could be your waist. It could be a a couple different areas. And then it depends on the person how much fat that they're going to kind of put on before things get back. So some people more than others tolerate fat uh, before things get bad. So putting on some weight, like I think Western people, especially Americans, handle a little bit more weight before things get bad because we both seen people who are like, man, for sure, this person's like diabetic and they're not. And you're like, <laughs> what the heck? Uh, whereas like, you know, I think it's popular in like Asian populations that, you know, they can't put on that much weight before things go bad. Um, so that kind of depends. But yeah, we're going right back to, okay, what, what are we going to look at to help bile move correctly and get the diet cleaned up let the bile flow because, of course, without a gallbladder, sometimes your biliary duct turns into a new gallbladder in a sense when you've had yeah. removed. But really, it's just making sure bile is flowing properly and it's being produced correctly. Yep, I love that. I love that. Yeah, so I mean, as far as gaining fat with no gallbladder, realize that, yeah, in some way, shape, or form, you can't process as many fats because you don't have a gallbladder. It depends on how much that bile duct expands. Um, but it's still your, your new gallbladder that you develop after they cut out your old one, um, still causes problems. You still have, and th- I didn't mention that in the last podcast, but you can still have the exact same gallbladder problems, um, after you have your gallbladder removed. And, and the research on that is that five years, you're about 50, 50. So I would say, you know, people like, should I have a, my gallbladder removed? I'm like, cool, flip a coin, you know, and, and that's about as accurate as anyone can be in saying if it will solve your problem. Um, so especially um, I actually had a nurse in the other day and he told me, he goes, one time they cut open an abdomen to do a gallbladder surgery. And, and they're like, this gallbladder is pristine. Like it was like, it was the most beautiful gallbladder they'd ever seen in this person. And he looked at the doctor, the doctor looked back at him and the doctors, did, you know, they didn't say anything, but he said, he said, uh, well, you know, based upon their age and their GI issues, I think we better cut this out. Right. Um, so the determination was simply not because they had. Um, not because they actually had a gallbladder issue. It was because of some other issue that they were hoping. But once again, no gallbladder actual stones, no gallbladder issues at all, no fatty liver around it. Um, and they still cut it out, which odds of that person actually getting a result in their GI tract, very, very low because they didn't actually have a gallbladder problem in the first place. So fun to oh, hear yeah. those stories. Um, yeah. Back to the fat, fat gain. If you can't detoxify the toxins as well, which is what happens when you don't have gallbladder, you're prone to gain weight everywhere. Right. Um, So you're just going to start depositing all your environmental toxins. Once again, as as every organ is removed, you're going to have to work a little bit harder. All right. Slightly enlarged gallbladder, no stones. What do you think is the best treatment, Doc? Man, I'm going to go back to that whole sludge story. The first question, it's going to be similar kind of treatment. We're going to be looking why is it slightly enlarged? What is going on? What's affecting it? The similar things that we talked about last episode. Um, So do you need any support? Do you need some herbs to help push things through like artichoke? And then what's the underlying root cause? Do you have an aldehyde issue, ammonia issue? Um, do you have an insulin issue? 
it's aldehyde ammonia, we got some most likely infections that we need to go with some herbs. And if it's insulin, it's back to good old protein and low carb. All right. So that's like our answer for everything. Right. But yeah, no one's still listening, but I'm, I'm just joking. But it's like, yeah. you know, it, it, and it's not, it's not high protein, low carb for a little bit. It's prolonged over a period of time, yeah. you know, give me six months of that. Right. Um, and use and a lot of people are happy staying there too. Yeah, no, I mean, it, what, once you feel well, once your blood sugar stabilizes and you know what it feels like to have stable, stable blood sugar, like you don't really want to go back because it sucks. Um, it sucks going back to tired in the afternoon, energy crashes, caffeine to wake you up. Like, it's just like not a cool place to be. So, um, yeah, uh, that's, that's what I say. Basically, you know, listen to the last podcast, the enlarged gallbladder, I, I doesn't scare me at all. Once again, I'm not, I'm not worried about a gallbladder slightly enlarged. If there's no stones, you're not in that danger zone yet. Um, get to work treating your gallbladder, right? Get a hold of a doc or, you know, some, somehow start treating on your own. All right. Um, I'm going to add this one in. It has nothing to do with gallbladder, but our last question will. Um, burning above the knee that's worse at night. What do you think, Doc? That's just straight from Instagram. That's a fun one. Because, um, I mean, we talked about last episode, that weird, weird uh, uh, random thing that we will see as correlated to gallbladder where it's bilateral knee pain. Burning yeah. above the knee, though, especially if it's one-sided, I'm not going to directly necessarily go right to gallbladder. Um, like, if it's say painful behind the knee, like where your bursa is, I might connect it because that's like classic bursa pain, uh, bursitis, uh, you know, spinal pain on like palpation when you feel it. It's like classic need for acid, um, yeah. like betaine, HCL and that sort of thing. So you could have a gallbladder correlation there, but this is above the knee. So uh, we're going to start thinking what muscles are involved there. Probably go musculoskeletal first. Unless it's on the right side, then I might go, maybe there's an adrenal issue. Maybe there's something there I need to look at. But I'm keeping my options quite open before diving in and then maybe doing some other challenges. Of course, I'm going to, if this patient comes in and this is the only thing they tell me that's going on, I'm going to ask a whole lot of health issue questions, health history questions, because I need a lot more information. It's like sometimes on the, the doctor groups we're a part of, people will throw out, I got a seven-year-old person with this one symptom and then they leave the rest of their health history off. And I'm like, what do you expect us to answer if you don't give us their entire health history? It's really difficult if um, to go off of one thing. It, it, uh, there's a, a, a professor I really loved at school. He's just like, you, you treat it with the company it keeps. Ah. That's how you evaluate it. And so if it doesn't have any company it's keeping, you're going to have to do a lot of evaluation, a lot of investigation to see what's going on. Yeah, no, I, I don't have a direct correlation for burning above the <laughs> no. knee. I do, I, I do like the adrenal story because that that muscle that would go weak with adrenals might be like that sartorius muscle, that sartorius mm -hmm. muscle. Um, could be a small intestine issue. Maybe your VMOs flaring at night. So yeah, I mean, nighttime stuff, I would say cortisol issues, which would be insulin issues. So you had dysregulation of that. Um, or, or maybe, uh, like parasites popping up at night, but yeah, definitely a, a super weird one. I mean, it, it could even fall into the category of restless leg syndrome, uh, yeah, it could, which, it could. which would be adrenal. Um, but yeah, no, I, that's the funnest part about Instagram questions that people give me one word and I get to you know, come up with a magical story behind it. Um, so yeah, if we ever answer your questions or if I ever answer your questions and it's not right, I apologize, but you know, obviously we spend hours taking histories with people. Um, 
and do intensive workups on people in order to find out these answers. All right, last question, Doc. Uh, are gallbladder attacks related to stress? Ooh, there's another broad one. So what do you mean by stress? Are we talking about emotional stress, uh, work stress, that sort of thing? Because stress is actually a very broad category. So everything we've talked about is actually technically a stress to the gallbladder, like insulin's a stress to the gallbladder. But yes, uh, most people are asking, and I, we could probably assume that they're asking about just, you know, life stress, uh, right. work stress, uh, relationship stress. For sure. That's going to, you know, increase your cortisol levels. Uh, by increasing your cortisol levels or increasing your your overall stress, you're going to stress, you're going to be in that fight or flight mode. If you're in fight or flight, digestion doesn't really matter to your body. You think of mama bear, like I always think of mama bear because of a mutual professor we had, um, Dr. Ignatov, he would talk okay. about uh, uh, mama bear coming after you. And if mama bear is coming after you, you don't care about digestion. You care, can you fight it? Can you run? Can you flee? That sort of thing. And so if that's happening, for sure, things are going to get shut down. And high stress levels are not going to be uh, good for anything going on. Now, we you just mentioned a really important one, like insulin. Insulin is going to often be related to cortisol. And so cortisol is high at night. So we can have a blood sugar issue uh, because of this. But yeah, stress goes to a lot of different things. And if we... and Actually, I'm thinking of a specific patient, and this is super common, especially in America. Um, she, I don't know if she had a job, but she definitely was running around with her kids. She was burning the candle at both ends. If you're burning the candle at both ends, likely you're not going to be able to eat well. You're just stressed out to the wazoo, and at some point, you will not be able to adapt anymore. And whether it's your gallbladder, whether it's your gut, whether whatever it is, something's going to fail on you multiple things will fail on you. Yeah. I uh, When I go to that, I, I went straight to that caffeine story where oftentimes uh, if with, with the caffeine, um, that's that's an adrenaline rush, right? You have a stimulation there that you get. That stimulation does make a, a bowel movement happen. So let's say that you had like an acute stressor um, mm -hmm. or a significant enough traumatic stressor. Like um, I've seen crazy cases where, you know, someone like absolutely hates their dad, but has to meet with their dad about something um, and their condition will completely flare. Um, or maybe, yeah, maybe you hate driving or you were recently in an accident and now driving stimulates an, an adrenaline rush. That'll create a gallbladder flush. I don't I don't know about an attack. And then the other thing that right. I would say is chronic stress, which will reduce your progesterone. Progesterone is the main hormone responsible for relaxing the gallbladder, kind of letting it chill out a little bit. Um, so while I don't see progesterone deficiency causing direct gallbladder attacks, um, yeah, I, I mean, I would just say no. I, I don't think that emotional stress directly causes an attack as much as it causes problems. And those problems just mount up to where really any little thing could stimulate that attack. Does that make sense, Doc? So it's indirect, in other words. Yeah. Yeah, something indirect not, not there. directly correlated. Yeah. yeah. So thank you guys again for listening to the podcast today. Yeah. I'm going to always ask questions, see if you guys can submit any on Instagram. Uh, we answered 16 questions today. Uh, I want more. Let's answer more questions. Um, they Absolutely. can be on gallbladder or anything else. Uh, but you can hear my opinion, which is often slightly different than Dr. Gabe's. But you realize that we can all come at this problem from different angles, different ways, and we can still get to the same thing because the mechanisms are the same. So what a lot of people don't understand is how the body truly works and not only how the body works, but how it integrates. And so 
Um, that's why in our in our training or whatever we call it systems healthcare, it's not about your gallbladder. It's how does your insulin affect your gallbladder? It's not about your gallbladder. It's how does your hormones affect your gallbladder? Um, as I mentioned in the last podcast, it's how your steroid system affects your digestion, which originally came from your gallbladder, which came from the liver, right? We're multiple systems addressing those. And and that's what we hope to share on this podcast. And that's what we think actually makes this podcast a little bit different than all the other ones where they may just educate you on how the gallbladder works. We want to integrate those systems for you. Any final words, Doc? No, I love it. That, that's exactly my approach. I, I want to show how all these systems interplay. That's why I love systems healthcare, because like we said with that weird thing, bilateral knee pain, your gallbladder affects your musculoskeletal system. So we want to show how these things interplay with each other, how you can tell the signs early on so you don't wind up with meeting with a surgeon in an urgent situation. Yeah. And just a, just a reminder, Dr. Gabe is still accepting new patients. What's the best way for them yep. to get a hold of you right now? We'll keep asking that every week in case it changes. So what's the best way to get a hold of you? So easy to get on, whether it's through Google, Facebook, uh, even on my Instagram, they'll be in the show notes for sure. Uh, otherwise, you can get it on the website too. If you just Google my name, I'm the only person in America that has that name. So it's most likely going to come up. That's Dr. D-R-A-R-I-C-I-U, Dr. Arichu. And uh, thanks again for listening to you guys. And we will see you on the next episode. All right. Take care.